Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 76 of A Thompson and Other Disappointments. This is a fuck this week uh, episode, which is a solo show, right? So I do two shows a week. Wednesday is the solo one where I talk about whatever's in the news. Uh, and then Friday night is the guest where we go over their area of expertise or we just talk shit for an hour over a beer or something. Um, they're all available on Funk 27. So if you Google Funk 27, you'll find it. Um, and uh, let's look, let's let's just get into it, shall we? Um, big news day yesterday. Uh, this morning is one of the most insane mornings in British politics for a long time. Uh, it is the day after the Prime Minister <laughs> and the Chancellor of the Exchequer have been found to have broken the law by the Metropolitan Police. Uh, and look, obviously this story broke yesterday. It was about 16 hours ago. And yes, it was tricky to decide whether to discuss it this morning or, or stick to our policy of not focusing on crimes that happened in the past, which is a shit comedy reference to the Met's initial refusal to investigate. Uh, but no, let's let's bring this all out in the open. Let's go over the shit again. Reignite the rage, lest it burn out and be described and dismissed as fluff by figures like uh, everyone's favourite amateur dramatic portrayal of a Victorian paedophile, Jacob Rees-Mogg. So... Here we go. In, in December 2021, the video of Allegra Stratton surfaces and in it she jokes and scoffs about a party that had wine and cheese and no social distancing. Uh, and in response to that, Johnson says he's furious that people could be left with the impression that staff in Downing Street weren't taking things seriously. He's furious that people could just be left with the impression. So in his mind at that moment, it would appear like think that they were taking everything seriously, but people might be left with the impression that they weren't taking things seriously. So very angry at this video. And uh, uh, I mean, look, to be honest, mate, I think there was a risk of that before this shit came out. I think people may have been left <laughs> with the impression you weren't taking things totally seriously when you hid in a fridge and and bragged about painting buses and said, let the bodies pile high and tried to get a donor to pay for your fucking wallpaper. I think taking things seriously left the building a long time ago, you fucking albino yeti. Uh, after that, the Mets say they won't investigate. And Johnson starts saying this, like, all guidance was followed. He says he's been assured that no party took place. No party. Singular. Not parties, right? <laughs> At that point, it was just one party, apparently. Uh, but he's been assured that it didn't happen. Then it was all guidelines were observed. So slight change in language. Uh, not sure what that means or what that signifies. Um, and then it was all, well, I didn't go to any parties. I didn't break any of the guidelines. So it's all like a tacit acknowledgement that something did happen. Someone somewhere within Whitehall was breaking rules, but not me. So I don't need to worry about it. Why are you attacking me? I didn't do anything. Then it turns out he did go to a party. <laughs> Uh, he says he didn't realise it was a party. He thought it was a work gathering. Uh, he Nobody told me. That was his defence at that point. And everyone else says, your fucking wife was there, mate. <laughs> so, like, what kind of a work gather, like work meeting thing was this? Like, does your wife always come with you to work meetings? That doesn't sound right. Uh, There's a lot of people around that time saying she would need security clearance to go to a work thing. Does she have security clearance? We don't know. Uh, then it turns out he had a birthday party and he says I was ambushed with a cake, which 
I can't believe I haven't read this anywhere. This seems like such an obvious joke. But I haven't seen it yet. But, like, being ambushed with a cake is literally what happens to a clown. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if that's quite the get-out that he thought it was. You know, ah, uh, it's not as bad as you think. I'm just a fucking clown. Uh, and the denials and the lies and the obfuscations went on. Uh, then we had the cabinet secretary, Simon Case, brought in to investigate until it turned out that he had himself hosted a party. <laughs> this, like, as I, as I rehash all this stuff in my mind, I'm like, I can't believe how fucked this whole thing has been. What a total fucking abortion it's become for the Tory party. Uh, so Simon Case uh, stepped back. Then Sue Gray uh, came in and, and took over the investigation as a civil servant, supposedly independent, unbiased. Um, and, and then she held back from publishing an update or publishing her findings last minute because suddenly, out of nowhere, the Metropolitan Police remembered that they were supposed to do something other than harass and abuse people of colour and pin down mourning women. Uh, just for some inexplicable reason, at that moment, they stepped in like, oh, actually, I think I think we do care about retrospective crimes uh, conveniently enough. Let's just take this and uh, kick the can a bit further down the road, you know? Like, I like this idea that you have Metropolitan Police officers on the beat. One holding down a crying morning woman to the pavement, grunting, You stupid fucking bitch! You're not supposed to hold a vigil! It's not socially distanced! You know, holding her down face to the pavement, while another is over there taking pictures of dead black women in the park and posting them in a WhatsApp group. And then one of them says to the other, I mean, this is, this is fun, Gary, but are you sure we're not supposed to be doing something else? You know? <laughs> That's kind of how it feels. It's like they're so busy doing terrible police work that then fi like finally they remember that they're supposed to actually investigate stuff. So they start investigating, asking questions, gathering evidence. And just as Sue Gray is about to provide an update, they step in. And now suddenly it's like, ah, Sue can't comment while a police investigation is ongoing. That's the key thing. The Met take the folder and the findings and start an investigation and that basically blocks sue gray from publishing anything or talking about it because you know like i don't remember i don't remember i don't know if you guys remember that moment uh but it was a weird one for me like it felt like the cabinet were using the fact that the british prime minister was <laughs> was under investigation by the police they were using that as some sort of defense tactic if you if you cast your mind back like like uh, it was it was basically people saying like, no, 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 it's cool. Your questions, points and hot takes are all moot because get this right. Boris is the subject of a criminal investigation. So ha <laughs> ha, that shut you up, didn't it? You know, like using the fact that he was being investigated for criminal conduct as some way to like win political collateral or something. You know, that shut you up, didn't it? Because he's being investigated. <laughs> didn't see that coming. And you're like, um... Don't know if this is, is that you winning? I mean, <laughs> so, so yeah, look, since then, we've been kicking the can down the road, I think. Um, and I think this seems to be a common tactic in British politics. You know, they announce an inquiry or a report that kicks it into the long grass. You know, I, w I wish that that would work in normal everyday life. Like, don't you guys? Like, it's, it's, I wish every time I fuck up or you fuck up, someone comes up to you and goes like, did, wait, 
did you sell my brother the drugs he overdosed on? And you're like, yeah, look, I know, I'm, I know you're upset. I am, I'm upset too. I'm furious about this. But let's, let's just wait and see what this specially commissioned report says when it concludes in seven months' time when you're bored of it and you're unlikely to guillotine me in the town square for whatever it is that you say that I did, that I know that I probably did, but I've asked somebody to look into it for me. You know, like... It, it, I wish that that would work in everyday life, but it doesn't it never seems to work outside of politics, does it? Weird. So, so then we had the questionnaire, right? Let's let's try and stay on on point here. Uh, we had the questionnaire, which is frankly a weird way to gather information. I think for the police. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I should really talk about this, but like, fuck it. Uh, in, in the interest of transparency, as Carrie would say, um, when I was 17, me and my friends got drunk and walked over some cars. Right. Uh, I'm not d- diminishing or diluting the awfulness and immaturity and recklessness of it. You know, we got drunk. We walked over cars. I think we bent some aerials. We were young, stupid, drunk. It was a dumb thing to do. And I was and still am incredibly embarrassed about it. Uh, now, when we were bundled into the police car and taken to the station and so on, the police were actually quite friendly and understanding. You know, considering how reckless and stupid it was, like what we'd been up to, it was kind of like good cop, good cop territory. Like they, I remember them saying like they remembered being young and that we would, we'd been very stupid and, you know, they were, they were still quite judgy, but they knew that we'd all obviously been drinking and that we were young and dumb. And, uh, and basically now what would happen is they would take us through the interview process and then they would provide an estimate for the damage that we had inflicted on the cars and so on. But at no time did they ever say, you, uh, have you been walking over cars, son? Cool. Okay. Yeah. What's your address? And look out for a questionnaire, you know, like it's and then they drive off. See you around. <laughs> you know, it's like it's so civil and non-policey. It's just like, would, would, would you mind if, if we just sent you a, a questionnaire? Is that a, like what if you just say, oh, I didn't get anything? Well, we sent it to you. Yeah, I know. I didn't receive. Like it's so not like the whole idea of a police interview is that you bring people in. So you have some control, uh, you know, and you sit there and you record the interview, you know. Throwing questionnaires around just seemed so uh, lightweight, you know, for something that could potentially go on to damage democracy, having this sort of, you know, allegedly at that point, lying prime minister. So the questionnaires go in and everyone starts asking, how long does it take to read a fucking questionnaire? What's taking so long? And next, the Met starts saying it's not up to them to name names. And Downing Street say say they won't name names of who's got the fines and who hasn't because it's up to them to divulge if they've personally received a fixed penalty notice and, and so on. So then there becomes this thing of like, well, hang on, are they trying to hide whether they broke the law? You know, if the Met aren't going to say it and none of the cabinet ministers are going to say it, like, how the fuck are we supposed to know if these guys have lied and broken their own laws and uh, broken the ministerial code? Like, it looked for a bit like they were trying to sort of wriggle out of it by not divulging if they had broken the law, which was just never going to fly. Because um, it, it, like, it is a key thing. Like, whenever people were asked or probed uh, by journalists and the journalist would say stuff like, did you break the law? Did you attend to parties? Did you know about them? 
how can you fit this triangular shaped party thing through this square shaped hole of the Coronavirus Act that prohibits parties that you wrote and you communicated to people. This is journalists asking them, right? And they would say, well, we have to wait for the investigation to complete, you know? And the journalist would push again. And, will you resign if they found that you've broken the law? Well, we'll have to wait for the investigation, you know? Like, uh, and, and so there was no expectation that, uh, like that they would firstly that they would admit that they'd been to the parties ahead of the questionnaires and then after the questionnaires it sounded like well now we're not going to fucking know know any names right um it, it like the narrative that was being spun at the time was very much along the lines of and this is going to sound a bit over the top but this is this is really the nuts and bolts of it was like we have to wait for the findings of an investigation to know whether i attended an illegal party that broke my own rules before we know whether I broke them, and even if I broke them, I may not fucking tell you. Like, that's that's kind of where we were at. Uh, but then I think after a bit of pushback, I remember reading that but, like they sort of U-turned on it a bit. They were like, actually, yes, we will tell, we'll tell you if the PM gets fined. I think that was the concession. And so, and so yesterday, then it was confirmed. The clown's cake ambush. That one event. Uh in which the Mets say he was there for an hour between two and three o'clock, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, his ministers all seem to think it was nine minutes, which is like like classic Tory gaslighting. You know, here it is, black and white. The Mets say, uh, we now know that you were there between two and three o'clock. And in a matter of hours, cabinet ministers are like, look, he was only there for nine minutes. Like, what the fuck? Can you just try and be like, like even if you're going to construct a lie... At least root it in truth. Don't don't just make it something so black and white, like obvious. No, they say it's an hour. You're now saying it's nine minutes. It's quite easy to compare and contrast those two figures, right? Just try and be good at being bad, for fuck's sake. But his ministers are also fucking dense, sycophantic and cynical. Like, I'm surprised the group text that they all put out didn't just deny the very existence of parties altogether. You know, like, what... What I mean, what is a party? <laughs> you know, like there's that scene in The Simpsons where uh, the mob boss and the police commissioner, I think, uh, the I can't remember the commissioner's name now, but the policeman's just like, we know that it, we know it was you that stole that truckload of cigarettes, and then the you know the mob boss goes like, what's a truck? You know, like don't play stupid with me. It's like it, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if that was their next thing. It's like, well, I don't even understand what a party is. I don't think parties really exist. Um, and that was like the copy and paste statement. Sorry, to, to, to circle back to that uh, that last point. Uh, the copy paste statement on Twitter coming out left, right and centre from cabinet ministers, from backbenchers was like, the PM has said sorry, but now he has to get on with the job and Ukraine and leading Britain and blah, blah, blah. You know, just like fucking burst fire hydrant of Tory support from all angles. And for some of them, it's quite obvious why they've hitched their flag to his mast. And it's like, it's just, it's on the basis of Tory self-preservation, you know? It's self-interest to appear so selflessly loyal. The reality, of course, is that people like Rhys Mogg and Nadine Dorries know they'd never be taken seriously again by another government or leader. And so blindly supporting this bell end 
is pretty much the best they can do to secure the mores of ministerial life for a little bit longer. You know, like, like put, put simply, if you knew the ministerial car, the grace and favour house, the donor money, the second jobs on the board of Shell or RBS or whatever, if you knew that this was your peak, you would do everything in your power to keep that gravy train running, wouldn't you? Like, like if um, Tom... T uh, I can never... I don't really know how to pronounce his name yet. Tom Tugendar, is that his name? If Tom Tugendar and Johnny Mercer stepped up to form the next Conservative Party administration, right? These are two moderate Conservatives that are actually left in the Tory party. If Tugendar and Mercer stepped up, do you really think they'd have Nadine fucking Dorries in the cabinet? You think they want Jacob Rees-Mogg in their cabinet when they're trying to detoxify the image of the Conservatives as one rule for them and super wealthy and detached who look down on plebs who personify incompetence and arrogance perfectly. Like if I was Tugendar and Mercer and I wanted to convince working people that my party was on their side, I don't know if I'd go for the Victorian Etonite who's like, well... I think anyone with any common sense would have left the Grenfell building, despite being told not to by firefighters. I think you or I would have figured out what these dirty povers were too stupid to. You know, I don't know if Mog would be on brand for me if I was them in that position. So if we accept that these vacuous, cynical, moronic crayon eaters know the game's up if Johnson leaves office... If we accept that they know they were only hired because they were willing to bow down to Boris, kiss the ring, pledge allegiance to the church of Brexitism, then viewed in that context, it makes perfect sense Doris, Mogg and half the cabinet would be this vocal in support of keeping Boris Johnson in number 10, doesn't it? Makes perfect sense. What strikes me as odd, though, and in kind of direct contravention of the self-interest angle is that vowing support so publicly on Twitter, in statements, in interviews for Boris Johnson, for a man who has never shown loyalty to anyone his entire fucking life. Like, first, are you expecting some sort of quid pro quo repayment for this? Because history tells me he doesn't necessarily stick to his words an awful lot. So I don't know if that's a good look. Second, there's the whole the internet never forgets aspect. So if we're talking about self-interest, uh, looking out for yourself, looking out for number one, I can't help wondering if in three months or six months or after the next general election, when the Johnson administration is seen as the Enron of British politics, you know, caved in, imploded, brand toxic, if these same faces should or will come to regret draping themselves in his colours, so to speak. Like if your goal is self-interest, if your goal ultimately is securing or protecting your career in politics, surely the impending doom of Andrew Marr or, you know, whoever on a Sunday morning sofa asking you shit like, hang on, like, yes, Nadine, look, hang on. You say you're all about business and enterprise, but it says here you worked in Team Johnson, you backed him to the hill and that government presided over the greatest fall in living standards for 65 years. That government were fuck business. They were 
go with Brexit even in the midst of a pandemic. They were, let's ignore the experts. They were, let's boast about the fastest growing economy in the G7, even though we skewed the figures and actually our economy barely moved because of Brexit. While comparable economies recovered from the pandemic in Q1 of 2022, and our economy just stagnated. So how can you possibly sit there with a straight face and pretend you're pro-business or that you should be trusted with the economy? Get the fuck out of it, you know? I would think self-interest would want to protect myself from being crushed on the morning sofas like that. Like, wouldn't you? Does self-interest not go? Is, is self-interest just a short-termist thing? Or is it is Tory self-interest, sociopathic self-interest, capable of looking that far in the future? I don't know. Perhaps it's just more immediate, you know? Like, perhaps it's, it's like, um, save myself, my ministerial role now, and then I can worry about that shit later you know like further down the line i worry about that which let's be honest is totally in character for the current tory party they operate in a world of what did the headlines say this morning what are they going to say tomorrow morning oh shit is that what they're printing tomorrow well go go gadget reactionary rhetoric you know <laughs> they just react to things in the in the immediate. They spend the day firefighting, planting anonymous quotes, WhatsApping, copy and paste shit. Then at the end of the day, they get some wine and cheese, have a bit of a bally laugh about it all, chap, and prepare, prepare ourselves for more of the same when Charles Maul's article comes out in the morning. No, don't worry. There won't be anything embarrassing in the mail because we had the editor fired from the mail. Remember that? Jolly good. <laughs> more Stilton. You know? But the thing is, yesterday was the shock and awe. And it, like, I know it wasn't that shocking. We've had four months to get used to it. But yesterday was the gut punch to number 10. Like, yes, he's broken the law. Yes, he lied in Parliament. Yes, he's broken the ministerial code. All of that is now fact. And as we've waited for the smoke to clear and for people to process what's taken place here, like a sitting British PM lying to his people, to Parliament, refusing to resign, we're now at a point where we're entrusting the shadowy members of the 1922 committee as to whether there are actually repercussions to this. And it could be that the ambitious and Machiavellian Tories revert to type and publicly support their PM while privately plotting to oust him, you know, going behind his back, knives out style. But at the moment, all we can see is blind, unwavering cult-like support. So it looks as though it's going to be up to people like you, me, your sister, you know, people to implement the penalty of this. Like, yes, they've been fined, but that is not enough to reflect the damage being... Like, the fine reflects attending a party illegally. There needs to be a penalty for the damage that's being done to the unwritten constitution of the United Kingdom. You know, like, the behaviour Johnson-Sunak and the, the, the cowardly inaction of their supporting caste is effectively legitimising lying in Parliament. And I know that sounds over the top, but that is actually what is happening here. He's lied, we know he's lied... Yet none of his staff, none of his mis uh, ministers, none of his client journalists, no one is really stepping up and saying, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is going to fundamentally change the nature of our democracy and our integrity on the world stage. That's the thing, like, nobody stops to think in the Tory party that if you accept that it's OK to lie in our parliament, how the fuck are you going to grandstand against some other country when they lie to their people or they lie to their press or they lie to their parliament? or their Senate or Congress. Nobody's saying, wait, by doing this, we're irreparably tearing the government away and outside of the framework of truth and lies and what happens when you get caught breaking the law and the professional repercussions of that. 
So government are now effectively outside of the remit of the Metropolitan Police, which, look, arguably you could say was always the case, <laughs> especially with Cressida Dick when she was in charge. But more so, like, like now there's, there's always this sort of expectation that in public life you'll keep your sheets whiter than white, that standards should be held high. And now we're moving, we've just drifted further and further away from that. And that's what's being sort of legitimised at this stage. Nobody's saying we're setting a precedent here, which... If polls are be to, to, to be believed, when Labour get in at the next general election, not if, like at the moment, it's pretty much dead cert, right? That Labour could then take this baton and run with it. And and we, like speaking as the Tories now, we'd have absolutely no recourse. Like, how are you going to pull Labour up for lying to Parliament when the first thing that will come out of Starmer or Rayner's mouth is like, are you fucking joking? Like, look who your leader was. For that, like, lying to Parliament. You're seriously going to talk lying to Parliament to us? Really? You want to you want to pull on that thread? You know? Instead, it's just up to me and you to try and vote as many of them out as we possibly can in the upcoming May local elections. Um, not an entirely uplifting end to this uh, this episode. Um, I don't know. What, look, what, what do you guys think is going to happen next? Pop it in a comment uh, on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube or tweet me at Aid Thompson. That's at A-I-D for aid. And then Thompson is Thompson, but with I-E, uh, I-N on the end. So aid Thompson. Uh, I'm told I should be promoting the Patreon where all of the uh, content goes first, exclusive content and uh, early access. That's patreon.com slash aid Thompson. Again, uh, if it's your first time listening to one of these, uh, Wednesday is the solo edition. Uh, I call it fuck this week because, uh, you know, I'm riffing on um whatever is in the news. Um, but Friday, I usually have a guest on and we talk about their area of expertise and I ask a lot of questions and we, uh, you know what, sometimes we just talk shit and have a beer for an hour. Um, so join me for that. I'll be back Friday night, half past seven for the live stream. It will be out on Patreon immediately afterwards um, and it will be out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts uh, on Sunday. So once again, thanks very much for tuning in. Um, please stay safe, look after each other and I'll catch you next time.